Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you brought your Bible, would you open up to Exodus chapter 2? I told you two weeks ago that this weekend we'd be talking about insecurity. And in the same way that all of us, in some way, from time to time, struggle with pride, different measures, I understand, all of us, from time to time, in different measures, struggle with insecurity. Especially in the day in which we live, where social media puts before all of us what everyone else is doing. Except for those of us who aren't on social media and then we have no idea what's going on with the rest of the world. And that's kind of how I like it. None of you really care what I had for lunch yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Like this is getting out of control a little bit. We're going to talk about social media a little bit later in the message. And I get it's a sensitive subject. I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade. But I'm just telling you, with what we're talking about today, we need to be very mindful because insecurity is extremely dangerous. All right? It's a powerful thing. Now, it's not inherently bad, there are some good things. When we feel insecure, when I walk out onto a deck and feel insecure, do not feel fully secure, it causes me to move a little more slowly. So insecurity isn't inherently bad, but when we talk about insecurity from the standpoint of security in me, we're talking about a really serious thing, and the enemy loves to wreak havoc in our lives using insecurity. Exodus chapters 2, 3, and 4, chapters 3 and 4 cover one of my favorite conversations in the entire Bible. I can't cover all of it because we don't have near enough time and that's really only the first half of the message. Chapter 2 gives us the setup to chapter 3 and chapter 4 in the life of Moses. And I, I just want, if you struggle with insecurity, I want you to see from the front row just what a big deal. Because sometimes it's hard for us to see how insecurity affects us. But if we can watch from the front row how it affects someone else, and especially one of the savages in the Bible, okay, you're going to see somebody who talked face-to-face with God. That's what Exodus 33 says. God spoke to Moses like a friend, face-to-face. Scripture also says Moses covered his face because he couldn't stand, he couldn't bear to see God face-to-face. But this is how close they were. And you're going to see just how much havoc is wreaked in Moses' life because of what I believe was insecurity. But let me say this about you before I give you, we're we're just doing two points, two questions. But let me say this about you from the onset. If I were your enemy, I would try and convince you you couldn't do it. You couldn't do something. You couldn't do the call of God in your life before you even try to do it in order to increase the odds you would never do it. This is what he does with insecurity. And th- this is why it's so dangerous. Because he's trying to stop you from doing what God created you to do. All right? Two questions. Hopefully you're taking notes. And if you battle insecurity, I really, really pray you're taking notes. Not just for right now, but as you take some hits down the road. I pray the Holy Spirit uses some of this to help you fight that fight. Here's point number one. Question number one. What is so dangerous about the insecure you? What is so dangerous about the insecure you? I'm going to give you five things. Here's the first one. The insecure you always misleads you. 
Insecurity will always lead you in the opposite direction God wants you to go. I'll give you a little bit of the backdrop before we get to Exodus 2, 11 and 12. Moses was born a special baby. The Bible says his mother knew it. She saw it early on. Moses was growing up in a time where baby boys were being slaughtered. To protect him, his mother put him in a basket in the water and Pharaoh's daughter sees this baby boy, hears him crying and short story, she adopts him as her own son. Okay, this, this is what happens. Now remember, Egypt in this day and time was the most powerful nation on the earth. So Moses grew up not only in the most powerful nation on the earth, but he grew up in the home of the most powerful man in the most powerful nation on the earth. And I want to show you something I, I've never thought about because we know what, what he does, but I want to give you a different way to think about why he might have done it. Let's read together. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Many years later, after having grown up in Pharaoh's house, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. Who were they being forced to work by? The Egyptians. The slavery. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian, the oppressor, and hid the body in the sand. Okay, I've never noticed this before, but I actually think what triggered Moses that day could have been, I'm submitting this, all right, just my opinion. I think what could have triggered him was the trauma from growing up as a minority in Pharaoh's house. Here's why. The first time he sees an Egyptian beating on someone like him, he can't control what's going on inside of him. It's very well possible that God was trying early on to teach Moses how to communicate with the oppressor in order to free the oppressed because that was the call of God in his life. But I believe because of some insecurity, he grew up a minority and the most powerful man on the planet at that time in his home. I think it's entirely possible he had some serious insecurity. Growing up in his brother's shadow, never going to be enough. He's a minority. And the first chance he gets, I think he was triggered in such a way he couldn't control. He knew it was wrong. How do we know he knew? Because he looked around. And he did it anyways. The opposite direction God was leading him to go. And what happened? He had to go on the run. He had to flee because of this. Let me just tell you, learning, battling my own insecurity in my 20s, one of the things I learned about insecurity, it loves two behaviors. It loves to overcompensate and underreact. Insecurity loves to overcompensate. One of the ways you can, and I'll just speak to the men, one of the ways you can spot a very insecure man in a group of men is typically it's the loudest, boldest, brashest one among them. He's overcompensating. 
I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just telling you, this is one of the things you learn. This is like being a man 101. We overcompensate, prancing like a peacock, hoping you will not take view of what's beneath our feathers. Overcompensate, but the other one is underreact. Not everybody responds to insecurity the same way. Some people, it causes them just to fade back into the corner like a wallflower, do nothing, say nothing. So some overdo it because of insecurity, some underdo it. Moses overdid it and killed a man. Here's the second answer to the question, what's so dangerous about the insecure you? The insecure you always doubts you. Okay, before we get to Exodus 3 now, we're going to start in verse 9, 10, and 11. What happens between what we read in, in Exodus 2 and now what we're about to read in Exodus 3? God appears to Moses in the burning bush. He shows up. Moses encounters the living God. Now watch what happens next. Exodus 3 verse 9. This is God speaking directly to Moses. He says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you. I've handpicked you, Moses. You're my guy, Moses. Now go. I, the God of the universe, am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Watch his response. But Moses protested to God. Who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? One of the things I learned battling insecurity, insecurity is fixated on me. It's fixated on me. I, I'm convinced Satan loves it when we're insecure. Because he'd much rather me be focused on me than me be focused on God. And so here's one of the ways you know you struggle with insecurity. Who am I? Who am I? And here's how you know you might struggle with insecurity. If you don't answer that question the way God does, you're probably struggling with insecurity. Moses says, who am I to do this? He totally skipped past the God of the universe speaking directly to him, saying, out of everyone on the earth, I've handpicked you. And because of Moses' insecurity, he protests with God and says, what? No way. Who am I that I could ever do something like that? Here's the third answer to the question. The insecure you incessantly what-ifs you. It doesn't just doubt you, it what-ifs you. Now, Moses says, before we get to chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, who am I? Right? Who am I? God says, okay, well, let me come back at you. I'm with you. You're asking the question, who am I? You should be asking the question, who's with you? I'm with you. Who am I? I am that I am. That's who I am. I am. You're asking, who am I? You need to figure out who I am. 
I love how God twists it on him. Then God, as if to uh, make sure Moses knew this wasn't going to be a cakewalk, he says, say, I've handpicked you, and here's what I know. Pharaoh's not going to let you go. So don't get too excited about I've picked you. This ain't going to be easy. He's not going to let you go, but it's all part of my plan. And I'm going to do miraculous things. Now, I just want you to put yourself in Moses' situation. What if that was you? And what if God were promising you, not just telling you that he handpicked you, but he were promising you, I'm going to do miraculous things through you. And guess what? Eventually, Pharaoh's going to let you go. And when he does, you're going to take all of Egypt's wealth with you. When I read this, I just think, how could I be so insecure if God were saying, I handpicked you, I'm with you, I'm going to do miraculous things through you, and I'm going to make sure Egypt gives you all of their wealth. How could I be insecure if God were saying all of that? Here's the answer. Insecurity is that powerful. It's that dangerous that even when talking face-to-face with God, you can talk yourself out of what he's saying. Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses protests again. What if they won't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? You know, this is one of the most dangerous questions to wrestle with. What if they? What if they don't like me? What if they fire me? What if they reject me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they, what if they, what if they? Another way we know we're struggling with insecurity is when we talk about them too much. It just comes with it. I should know. When I struggle with insecurity, every message I preached, I would look out into the crowd and see how I was being received by the look on their faces. And so when someone was falling asleep, I thought something was wrong with me. My mind never went to, he might have pulled a double shift last night. I just thought, well, I must be the most boring preacher on the face of the earth. Some of you are like, eh, (laughs) it's okay. It's okay, here's why. And hear this the right way. I don't walk off the stage any longer thinking about the look on your face. I walk off the stage looking at his face, hoping for one look. Sit right there. My God. That's it. I don't go to the door to say goodbye to you and bless you as you go out into your week so that I can have you say to me, great message today, Pastor. I've already told you I don't like that. If you really want to compliment me, here's what you should say. Oh, my word, I heard God speak to me today. That's, like the, that, that's what I spend a decent amount of time praying about. Not, God, will you cause them to walk away talking about my message? If that's what happens, that's not going to do a thing. God, I want them to walk away, to leave this place talking about you speaking to them. This is the goal. But see, when we're battling insecurity, we do a lot of fixating on they. So let's get in the social media thing for a sec. How many of them 
liked what I posted? How many of them didn't like, based on their comments, what I posted? Do you know what a scary existence that is? That I, I would dull my whole life down essentially to a pole of what everybody likes or dislikes about me? Where is God in that? But this is what insecurity does. In an attempt to be liked, it will change anything about itself in order to be liked by them. I don't want to be liked by them. I want to be loved. Big difference. Big difference. Moses encountering God goes, what if they, what if they, what if they? Like, I get that you're here right now. I get you're the sovereign one. And they pale in comparison to you. But what if they, what if they, what if they? This is how insecurity talks. It incessantly what ifs you to death. And understand, the tone in insecurity's voice will always be fear. This is how insecurity talks. Its tone is fear. Here's answer number four. The insecure you cannot clearly see you. This is a biggie. The insecure you cannot clearly see you. Okay, between verse one and verse 10, God goes even further. Moses is protesting an awful lot. Who am I? What if they? And immediately after, Moses says, what if they? God says, okay, what's in your hand? Moses goes, the staff. God says, throw it down. Turns into a snake. God says, grab by the tail. Turns back, right and back, back into a staff. I wonder if God was like, impressive? And Moses, it wasn't doing it for him. God's like, okay, let's double down. Take your hand. Put in your jacket. Pull your hand out of your jacket. White as snow. Leprosy. Put it back in your jacket. Pull it out of your jacket. Back to normal. Are you impressed now, Moses? Moses is like, no, bro. I'm not. God goes, okay, if they don't accept those two signs, take some water from the Nile, pour it out in the ground, it'll turn into blood, that'll shut it down. God's trying to communicate to Moses, listen, bud, I'm with you. This is a divine setup. Your weakness is a divine setup for my divine strength. You need to see this. I'm with you. He couldn't see it. He wrestled with God over it. He couldn't see that he could be the guy that God would use to pull this off. And he definitely didn't see himself clearly. Watch what he says, verse 10. God says, staff, hand, water. Moses points right back at himself, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. And even though you've spoken to me, look at that. Even though you've spoke to me, I'm still bad with words. I always have been, always will be. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Okay, here's, here's one of my problems with what Moses is saying to God about his speech problem. I don't know that it was all that true. 
Let me show you in Acts chapter 7 what Stephen says about Moses and his ability to speak. Acts 7 verse 22. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. Was Stephen talking about how bad Moses was with his words? Nope, Moses was. Who wrote Exodus? Moses did. He's just bashing himself. I'm terrible with my words. I'm not going to be able to do this. Trying to find every excuse why not to be used by God. Because this is what insecurity does. Can't be me. And yet Stephen says, let me tell you something about Moses. He was powerful in speech. The insecure you creates narratives about you which God would never speak over you. God did not agree with what Moses was saying about his mouth. He gives him Aaron, but the Bible says he gets frustrated. Moses starts talking about his mouth. God gets frustrated about this. I just want you to think about how many times the Lord says to you, hey, I've picked you. This is what I want you to do. And the first words out of your mouth are why you don't think it can be or should be you. Moses is not the only one. I've been there. You've probably been there. And here's what insecurity does. It causes you to magnify your weaknesses and minimize your strengths. God didn't look in Moses' direction and say, hey, I've picked you, but we're going to need to enroll in some speech classes before we start. God bypasses his mouth and says, check it, bro. You're not even gonna have to open your mouth. Throw your staff down. Grab the snake by the tail. Don't you love my sound effects? God's not even talking about his mouth. But Moses won't shut up about it. I'm not good with my mouth. This is why I can't be used by you to do this. I'm not a good talker, even though you've spoken to me. The insecure you cannot clearly see you. Here's the fifth answer to the question, then we'll get to point number two. The insecure you always sees the last resort as only you. When insecurity is is at its worst, it puts you at the back of the line. Look at verse 13. Remember, and I'll, I'll read this actually later in the message, verses 11 and 12. We're skipping verses 11 and 12. We've got to come back to it, okay? But watch what he says in verse 13. Moses again pleads with God, Lord, please send anyone else. God, I'm exasperated. So I'm just going to just send somebody else because there's no way it could be me. I remember battling my insecurity and telling Pastor Robert back in the day, the early days of Gateway. It was starting to explode. He had written The Blessed Life. And the way I described myself was I was just that kid at the end of a championship bench handing the good players Gatorade. That's how I described myself, okay? And I remember saying to him one day, if you opened up my job, at the time I was the youth pastor, if you open up my job to the public, the line for my job, the amount of resumes would go from your 
front door of your office to the front door of my house nine miles away. And there's no way I would get in. Never mind, and I don't know why, that God apparently chose me to grow up there. But for years, I was so fixated on my resume being worse than everybody else's, my abilities being less than everybody else's, and Satan loves it. Here's why. Because if I'll, if I'll stare at all that garbage, I can't be staring at his face. If I just would have been staring at the face of the Father, I'd have been seeing. Even when I screwed up. But I was so overwhelmed with insecurity. I put myself at the end of the line every time. I can't be the one to share this word. So-and-so is better at this. So-and-so is better at this. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Let me just say, some of you are battling insecurity, and God is giving you words for the people around you. And we are missing out on what God is trying to say and do through you simply because you're allowing insecurity to beat you. And I've been there. But maybe it's time for you to go to the head of the line. And that brings us to point number two. Second question, how do you overcome insecurity? If you, if you battle insecurity, how do you overcome it? Three things and we'll be done. First, get a revelation of the power of a pure partnership between God and you. Look at Exodus 4.11. Now remember, Moses in verse 10 says, my mouth does not work well. Watch how God responds. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Let me give you the press and paraphrase. Why are we talking about your mouth, bruh? Do you not know who I am? I can make donkeys talk, bro. Why are you wrestling with me over your mouth? Do you not understand what we're capable of together? Your mouth together with the one who created it and empowers it. Verse 12, he says, now go. I will be with you as you speak. Moses, stop thinking about trying to bat a thousand. Focus on the fact, I am with you as you speak, and I will instruct you on what to say. When I think about what I'm capable of by myself, there was a posture I learned that I have. I'm not talking about a physical one, just spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I did a lot of walking around like this. But when I think about what the two of us are capable of, something supernatural happens every time. My shoulders get pinned back spiritually. I'm not confident in me. I saw how that movie worked out. But when I fixate on him and I focus on what we're capable of together, <laughs> it's not a fair fight, let me just tell you. This is what King David shows us. Remember what he says when Saul is looking for someone to beat Goliath. Remember what 
When Saul says, bro, you have no chance. Look how small you are. Remember what David says to him? I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. And I will kill this giant today. Now that sounds like he's talking about himself until you hear him say the next words. He says, and the same God who rescued me from them will rescue me from him today. David knew it was an us thing. When he goes out to Goliath, remember what David says to Goliath? David, David's being mocked by Goliath. And David says, heads up, I know everybody's afraid of you, but today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. I love how he lays it out. God will conquer you. And because he will conquer you, then I'm going to be able to kill you. And then David just throws a little jab in there and he says, I'm going to chop your head off, bro. David goes out unafraid. Why? Because he knew what he and his God were capable of. The day he was anointed king to be the next king of Israel, the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. David was aware of what they were capable of. Do you know how hard it is to be insecure? When you're fully aware that the God of the universe isn't just with you, but he's dwelling in you and empowering you for everything he desires from you. This is not a fair fight. When I talk to people who are having trouble at work, it happened a couple times on Thursday night. I always kind of try and throw this one line in there. We have the most unfair advantage in all of human history. As followers of Jesus, we have the most unfair advantage. They kind of look at me like, well, it doesn't feel like I do. And here's what I say. The God of the universe is with you. But do you go into the office every day mindful of that? Do you go into the office mindful of the God who sits on the throne and will never be dethroned? Do you focus on that more than you focus on the person who sits in the most powerful chair in your organization? I think many of us have forgotten what we're capable of with our God. I don't want to be arrogant. Arrogance walks around and talks about what I am capable of. Confidence in God goes around talking about what we are capable of. And there's not much we once you get a revelation of him. David knew it. Do you? And if you're frustrated with the weaknesses you do have, let me just remind you, God gives us weaknesses, so we will come to the one who has all strength for our strength. It's a divine setup. Here's the second answer. How do you overcome insecurity? Get a revelation of God's divine obsession with you. Getting a revelation of God's obsession with you is one of the fastest ways to kill the insecurity inside you. Here's the way I would say it about me. I was the least confident person in me until I understood how God felt about me. Understanding God's love for me was the beginning of me getting comfortable with me. Now, if you have your Bible, flip over to Psalm 139. And if you're battling insecurity, I want you just to meditate on this passage, this whole chapter this week. Powerful words from King David. 
But this was one of my favorite revelations that the Lord's given me over the years that I've, I've been able to walk with him, gotten to walk with him. It was a powerful one because he had turned it and personalized it with me. So I want to read it together, just a couple of verses. I wish we could cover the whole thing, but we can't. Verses 13 through 17. David says, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me. Watch this. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Do you see this? Get a picture of your mother standing in a room carrying you, and the God of the universe is going from the inside. Just staring. And I wonder if, if the first time you kicked, he didn't just go, start cheering from then. Staring at your face, watching your fingers form. Watching your heart be strengthened. Of course, he's the one doing it. But he's not just doing it. He's enjoying watching you as it's being done. Verse 16, you saw me, God. Before I was born, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Get that picture. Here, this is kind of playful, but I just imagine God, who knows the end from the beginning, having a little flip book of every second of my whole life before I'm even born. And he just pulls it out every once in a while. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh what a goofball. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? Your thoughts about me cannot be numbered. I think if every follower of Jesus actually believed Psalm 139 was true about them, I think we could take over the whole world. I don't think insecurity would be near the problem that it is today. God, your thoughts about me are amazing. And if I tried to enumerate them, it's impossible. Your thoughts about me cannot be numbered. <laughs> and then David goes on to say, and when I awaken, you are with me. And I remember the day. I try and share this at least once or twice a year. I remember the day I was in Riley's room, my daughter. She was about three. And I was standing over her bed, crying, just telling her, telling God how thankful I was for her. And then I got to be her daddy. And while I was doing it, I just felt the Lord say, Preston, do you realize I do this over your bed every day of your life. And he took me to Psalm 139, and when I awaken. If you're battling insecurity, one of my prayers for you this week has been that you get a revelation of the God of the universe standing over your bed. Imagine this is your bed, and God's just standing there going, I love her so much. 
this is her kindergarten picture. Look at how she's changed. Oh, she snores so well. <laughs> All night, he just stares. Do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that the God of the universe loves you like that? I get that you know he sent Jesus to die for you. But do you know he stands over your bed staring at you? What do you call someone whose thoughts about someone else are innumerable? You call them obsessed. That's what you call them. What do you call someone who stares at someone the entire time they're being formed in their mother's womb? You call them obsessed. Stop talking to me about feeling like God's angry with you. Let's learn that God is obsessed with you and then we'll talk about God being angry. But don't start with his anger, start with his obsession. But insecurity always wants to start with anger because we think we deserve it. David said, God, when I open my eyes every day, oh my word, you're still there. You know how hard it is to feel a low sense of value for yourself when the one who owns everything in heaven and on earth stares at you in a way he doesn't stare at any of his other possessions or people. How can I feel a low sense of value when the king of the universe can't stop staring? And listen, I'm not being narcissistic. This is what it's like to get a revelation of God's love for you. Narcissism is when I stare at me. Getting a revelation of God's obsession is when I understand he can't stop staring at me. It's not that he can't, he won't, to be more theologically accurate. He won't. Because he loves. This brings us to the third point. Oh, let me give you this one-liner if, if you're battling. This is one of my favorites. Man's opinion of me was crowded out by God's obsession with me. I used to battle what other people thought of me. When I was a youth pastor, when I was a young adult pastor, when I was a youth pastor, I worried about what all the parents thought about me. I knew the students thought I was a loser and a nerd, but I was worried about what the parents thought about me. When I was a young adult pastor, I was worried about what they were thinking about me those first two years. That was a miserable way to try and live. And I'm glad he helped me overcome it before I became a senior pastor. Because little did I know that my new job, people would actually leave the church from time to time and use me as their number one reason. And I better get over what people think about me. And here's how it happened. It's not that I don't care what people think about me. It's that God's obsession with me crowded out man's opinion of me. Here's the third answer. How do you overcome it? Have a zero tolerance policy for comparison. Have a zero tolerance policy for comparison. Anyone you compare yourself to, you are competing against. I hate to tell you, this is one of the things that scares me about social media. It's probably the number one tool of comparison on the earth today. What does so-and-so have? What is so-and-so doing? What does so-and-so say? 
Galatians 5, verses 25 and 26, since this is the kind of life we've chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. This is what's so bad about comparison. That's not how God talks. That only one of us can be good and the other just has to be bad as a result. That's not how it's meant to work in the family of God. But that's how it works in the heart of the insecure. Satan loves to tear us down by getting us to compare up. Let me let you in on one of his little plays in his playbook. Satan doesn't want you comparing down unless it leads to pride. But he loves when you compare up because it always leads to insecurity. Now think about it. If you think so-and-so has a better voice than you, you might be more inclined to sing more loudly than so-and-so. If you think so-and-so has more money than you, you might be more inclined to spend money you don't have to keep up with so-and-so. If you think so-and-so is more successful than you, you might be more inclined to cut some corners to try and be more successful than so-and-so. And here's what scares me about social media. And please hear my heart. I know every time I use that term social media, I get into trouble. I'm not trying to judge anybody that's on it. I promise you. I'm just asking, especially those who are battling insecurity, please be mindful of what you're doing with that tool. It can be used for good, but it can also be used for evil. Against you. Here's what can be extremely dangerous about social media in the hands of the insecure. It gives you, it gives your so-and-so a chance to show you what you're not ready to see. If you're battling insecurity, you don't need to know what's going on with so-and-so. Better for you to be fixated on the spirit of the living God than on the new house so-and-so bought that they can't afford. Galatians 5.26 we have more, far more interesting things to do with our lives, and here's my paraphrase, than stay on social media comparing ourselves to everybody else. Each of us is an original. And I remember when the Lord gave me this revelation and it completely calmed me related to all of my peers and friends. Because I've been blessed to grow up around and be in family with and friends with some really amazing people in the body of Christ. I have the kind of friends where, like, just two days ago, three days ago, one of my friends, I called him. I said, hey, how you doing? How's everything going? How's your week been? He said, oh, man, crazy. On Thursday of last week, Craig Rochelle, pastor of the biggest church in the country, just called me and said, hey, I know it's last minute, but can you come preach for me on Tuesday? My response at this stage of life was, that's unbelievable. That's awesome. At 23, here would have been my response. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And it wasn't until God gave me a revelation of this jacket. Not this literal jacket. But this jacket right here. I, I need a, uh, this guy right here in the check. Can you come up here? Yeah. Yeah, I know you don't want to. I'm not going to make you talk or anything, I promise. Okay? 
you are the perfect illustration for this. If you don't mind hopping up, if you don't want to hop up, you can go around the back, whatever you want. But I want you to see this because I didn't understand this. Thank you so much. What's your name? Aaron. Aaron? Preston. Nice to meet you. This jacket, someone bought me. And they paid extra for it to be fit exactly to me. Okay? Now you probably, some of you were looking at me wearing a jacket and you're like, why is he dressed up so nice? Okay? It was just for this illustration, relax. Okay? But this jacket was made to fit me like a glove. Now I want you to see something. Because I didn't understand until the Lord helped me, helped me get a picture of this. Okay? Don't flex on me, Aaron. You're a big dude. Okay? Yeah, that's great. That's good. You can, yeah, yeah, okay. We'll leave it right there. Okay, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Some people will go, there's, there's something off about Aaron's form. Wrong. There's something off about Aaron fitting into my coat. I love Aaron exactly the way God made him. And just judging by his form, if somebody came at me, I'd be looking in Aaron's direction to be like, hey, bro, help me out here. But he was never designed to wear my coat. And if I tried to put Aaron's coat on, the same thing would happen. I can't fill it out. I'm not Aaron. I'm not graced to do what God graced him to do. So why would I ever compare myself to Aaron? Remember, Aaron, it's amazing that that's your name, by the way. Aaron puts on Moses' coat while Moses is up on top of the mountain. And what did it lead to? A golden calf. That coat wasn't made for Aaron. There's nothing wrong with Aaron's form. There's just something wrong with this jacket's fit. Aaron, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Hey. If you ever ever want to be a part of our security team, we would love to have you as a part of our security team, bro. My guy. That's what I'm talking about, bro. Eyes on it at all times. I've got bird legs, my guy. I love it. But are you seeing the picture? Are you seeing it? God fashioned a coat for you. I didn't understand this. So I just thought I need to be insecure because I'm not like Aaron. My wife's not going to feel as safe as she would with Aaron. I'm not as tough as Aaron. I'm not as strong as Aaron. I'm not as this as Aaron. Do you see what insecurity does? It makes it all about Aaron like he were my competition. When God's standing there the whole time with my coat going, Tim Ross can't wear your coat. Robert Morris can't wear your coat. And Preston, you can't wear Tim Ross's coat. You can't wear Robert Morris's coat. God created a coat just for you. And when you get a revelation of what you and God are capable of, when you get a revelation of God's divine obsession for you, and when you get a revelation that nobody else can wear your coat. I really do believe with all my heart, you will kick the teeth out of the spirit of insecurity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.